Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is right. I'm thankful for you to be here. This is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast, the number one podcast for the lifestyle of video game developers. And guess who's here to help me co-host? Actually, it's not Brandon Pham this time. He brought a replacement guest in. His name is Mr. Brandon Pham. Hey, what's up, everybody? Yes, it is still me. Welcome <laughs> to this week's episode. Please also welcome our special guest, Mike Burkhead. Hey, Mike. What's up? How's it going, man? It's going good. So Mike and Brandon and I actually all work together at Section Studios, and Mike is the lead game designer on the project that we're working on right now. So this game or this conversation might get a little game designy. So Brandon, oh, I uh, apologize. Snoring in the back here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to represent the artists and complain about us adding boxes to levels all the time. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, Mike, before we get too far into the topic and let everyone know, uh, do you want to take us through your resume and just let people know like what you've been doing in the game industry? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I've been in the game industry for about uh, 12 years now, I think. 11, mm. 12 years. Um, I actually got my start, believe it or not, as a tools programmer. Wow. What? Yeah. Yeah. I got my degree in computer science and I started as a programmer. And uh, I was on the job for only like a year or two, and uh, I thought to myself, man, I can do that job better than those guys can. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to switch to game design, and uh, I was at this young startup in L.A. Mm -hmm. that I don't think they exist anymore. They were called, uh, oh, God, what were the names? Like Kung Fu something. Kung uh, Fu Factory? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's where I got my start. And... uh, I'd only been a designer for like two months Mm -hmm. and then the company got bought out and all the designers and program, all the designers and artists got let go. Only the programmers stayed. Oh man. (laughs) And it remained a game studio. It was just all perfect. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they remained as a studio because they got bought out by this other one and they had artists and designers. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Kung Fu Factory still does exist. Oh, shit. <laughs> they still make games. Well, the inside right. joke with Larry and I is like, you uh, become an instant game developer once you get laid off. So congratulations on that. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, uh, like the, it's the very first game design merit badge or game developer merit badge. Yeah. Uh, so after that, I was kind of like, I felt like I was like totally screwed because I realized that game design was what I wanted to do. But I'd only done it for a month, so who who the fuck was going to hire me at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of felt sad about that. But then I I did the the worst thing you can possibly do, which is I contacted a recruiter. Just kidding, they're fine. <laughs> 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 and uh, they got me in contact. I ended up getting a job at Ready at Dawn Studios in Irvine, which that was my big break. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I ended up meeting like all, all the friends that I have in the industry and basically like, especially Eric Williams, who that's how I have my job now at section studios. Oh, nice. Eric. So it's kind of like my career has become full circle because of that guy. Um, Shout out to Eric. Yeah. Eric Williams, amazing guy. It's one of the best designers that I've worked with. Um, yeah. I learned a lot working there and met some good friends. And at some point I decided that, you know, not, not that there was anything wrong with working on action games. I just, I realized that a designer could become really typecast really mm. easily. There's, um, I had this, I had this thing in my head that I kept just like, just bouncing around in there. And I started thinking of game design, like, like languages, you know, um, like I felt like working at Ready at Dawn and working on action games, it was like I was learning French. Mm-hmm. And which is a romance language, and I kind of felt like game design is like all the different uh, genres were all like children languages of that. Mm-hmm. You know, had your Italian and your Spanish, and because I was learning French, I felt like 
yeah, I could learn Italian faster and easier, but I don't speak it. Mm-hmm. So if I needed to be in a situation where I needed to speak Italian, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I realized I didn't want to be that guy. So I wanted to spread and learn different things. So I decided to leave. And uh, I ended up in Chicago working on Mortal Kombat. Nice. Uh, so I decided I was like, yeah, I need to make some fighting games. I mean, not that big of a stretch from after working on God of War, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was a step. It was a yeah, step it's, direction. It's some varied uh, experience. Yeah, it was. I was like, I got to vary my experiences exactly. Um, I had to. I, I wanted to learn the different aspects of game design. Um, I ended up only being there for like seven months for various reasons. Um, and then I went to Vigil in uh, Austin, Texas, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. which uh, I actually really loved Austin. Um, and I even loved Vigil, um, unfortunately. And I was there to work on, sorry, I was there to work on the Warhammer 40K MMO. Mm-hmm. So I went from action games to fighting games to MMOs, still always kind of within the same wheelhouse Mm -hmm. um this particular context it was warhammer 40k was a mix between shooters and action combat um they were doing some interesting things but they wanted somebody on staff that was familiar with uh fighting games action games so i thought yeah this is a nice blend of what i've done in the past with something i haven't done um and i i was enjoying my time there and then of course thq or thq went under (laughs) Um, it's unfortunate. I lost my job before that even happened because uh, it was right before the layoffs, and THQ was like, "Let's just shut down everything that's not what about to make us money." Um, and so basically, everything was let go except for the Darksiders Two team, which I was helping on, but I was not technically under that. I was on the 40k team, so I was let go. Um, it sounds like Mike is slaying these companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Let's 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 back up for a second. I just want to sense like a pattern here. Let me, let, me, let me lay some groundwork here. I went through four cities in two years. Damn. Oh, Mike, that's crazy. Yeah, but that's like that's the biggest normal. pain in the ass I've ever heard. By the way, because I'm sure you had an apartment like, to move four times. But is it was during that period where. I felt like a lot of companies were shutting down too. Like every month yes. it felt like it was just some company couldn't handle the transitional period of like PS2, PS3 pretty much. Yeah, this was, um, let's see, been here. This, this was 2012 to 2014. Wait, uh, no, 2013, 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during that two-year period of 11 to 13. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a rough time. I mean, honestly, I did not. I look back on it and I was like, dude, I lived in four cities in two years. That is fucked up. I went from Irvine to Chicago to Austin to Burbank. It was a very rough bouncing around. Yeah. But at the time, I did not look at it as that this was a bad thing because I knew how hard it was out there for other people. Yeah. And the fact that I was going less than a month between jobs was amazing. Yeah, seriously. Which I 100% credit to the fact that I had started a blog and I started writing um, specifically to help myself get jobs. Okay. Almost every single one of those jobs that I had received um, after Chicago and NetherRealm was because of the blog that I had started. So any young designers out there you want advice uh, that is like super high up my list of things to do uh, specifically because as a designer, you have almost no way of having a portfolio other than your writing and games you've made. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's super, it's super difficult. Um, I mean, I could talk about the design designer hiring process and how much I fucking despise it all day long, mm-hmm. but uh, which is why Section has the unique hiring process that I, I use, which I like way better. But uh, anyway, just to complete my resume, uh, actually, 
the next job I got was at Insomniac Games, which I was there for three years yeah. uh, after that. So that was finally like I'd found a place to stay. Um, but actually, the, the funny thing about that job is when I was at um, Ready at Dawn, I actually, my, my best friend had left Ready at Dawn to work at uh, Insomniac, uh, this Carlo Arlano, concept artist. And I tried to get a job there as well. And they turned me down, which at the time, I, I do not blame them. I do not think that they made a mistake. I mean, due to the information they had, mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I was taking a design test while we were crunching. Like I was, I would work until 11 at night, come home. I would mix a five-hour energy with, with whiskey, chug that, and then start working on my design tests. I was... Mm not in the best frame of mind at the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. But ultimately, they decided to pass on me. And I remember thinking at the time, like, who the fuck do they think they are? <laughs> <laughs> These bastards. You know, and, and I, I, I made it this... Um, and I, I also got passed over by... Um, um, what, what's their name? Uh, the guys who did Bioshock Infinite. Uh, Rash. Irrational. Irrational games, yeah. Yeah, Irrational. And in the process of taking their design test, um, which I actually really liked their design test. It was really nice. Um, I'd I'd answered a lot of what I thought were compelling questions about game design. And I remember thinking after I got passed over from Insomniac that I was like, man, if only they knew who I was. Mm -hmm. If they knew Mm -hmm. the me, if they could see me the way I see myself or that I think I am, Mm -hmm. that this wouldn't have been an issue. And I mean, I, it's not the most healthy thing. I, I feel like I don't really care where you get your motivation from, but for me, it was anger. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm going to make them regret this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I it's my one mission in life. I am going to make them realize they fucked up not hiring me mm-hmm. anyway. So that's, that is why I started my blog. It was that, that moment, um, not the and, most he- healthy of journeys, I guess, but and- didn't you have a, a golden moment though? Yes, actually. So okay. I was friends with a designer at Insomniac, uh, Lisa Brown. And one day she messaged me to say that the, the lead designer there had come up and said like, yeah, I think we made a mistake not hiring that guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fucking victory. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, eventually when I lost my job at Vigil, I reapplied to Insomniac and it was a very different experience that time <laughs> because they all knew me because they've yeah. been reading my blog and passing it around. And so mm. it's like, yeah, that guy, fuck yeah, let's bring him in, you know? And nice. let's, I, I don't want to say that that's how it's going to be for every designer. You start a blog and suddenly Insomniac Games is going to know who you are. I had a special circumstance in the fact that I was writing specifically for a blog a joint blog for other writers that had been started by the technical director there. Oh, okay. So it was like I had a, a kind of direct line to that particular studio. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I do think that even at other studios that I've interacted with, because I had that blog, it it was a big benefit. So I do recommend that to most designers. Anyway, I'm going to start my blog right now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, for all those listeners, can you kind of briefly go over what, what what, do you talk about your blog? Does everything design, do you break down games? Okay. Yeah. So I originally started it and this is kind of an unfortunate point because my hosting server I screwed up something with my SQL, and so the whole thing went down. But I have I have all the documents saved, thankfully. But the actual website is down right now. But um, the point is, the, the I started it, and what I originally started was I actually just took design tests that I'd taken and answers I'd given, and just kind of turned them into posts. Mm. And it was mostly things like, you know what makes a game scary, mm-hmm. you know, simple kind of questions like that, that you would ask a designer and things like what's, you know, what makes a good level, you know, what makes, or sorry, what makes a level, you know, great instead of good, um, you know, questions like that. And 
that was kind of the genesis. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at Nether Realm, that was kind of when the blog was really like it was really I was really passionate about it. And what it mostly was was you know I would go to work and something would happen and I'd get pissed off. <laughs> which I mean, I was a ball of rage for many years and I would go home and I would just write to get the anger out, you know, like whatever I was, you know, someone would do something at work and I would think, God, how could you be so stupid? Like, and that's, that's, and then it kind of transitioned into that. And then the phase after that was, I was like, okay, well, I'm done with that. Like you can only sustain yourself on that for so long. Mm -hmm. Dumb um, developers named James. <laughs> yeah, is my blog post for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no names ever got mentioned ever. But not James. <laughs> not James. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was and and James. Uh, and then what it eventually turned into was things I wish I told myself when I started. Mm, yeah. Okay. You know, like mm-hmm. if I could go back in time and tell young Mike something about game design what would i tell him mm-hmm. um and i wrote that way until i ran out of things i thought were compelling to say mm-hmm. i never i never and at the time when i had started my blog there wasn't really any good blogs about combat design and system design which is that's my forte you know so there was nothing really about like how to design enemies i was always very practical like, this is how I go about designing enemies. This is how I go about, you know, building combat encounters. You know, I was always a very practical kind of writer. I didn't really care about the foo-foo shit, <laughs> so to speak. <clears throat> and so that was kind of, once I felt like I'd said what I needed to say, I just stopped. <laughs> it sounds like you well, need to make this into a book. Yeah, <laughs> well. Like perfect yeah, do you still have all the raw materials that you created I, for the blog? Yeah, I totally do. Actually, you know, it's like Eric and I have talked about doing a book for a while, but you know, life gets in the way. But I do, I do have all the raw materials for that, and I do think I could probably do that if I wanted to take the time. Well, I have an idea. How about we take about forty-five minutes and talk about asynchronous game design? <laughs> <laughs> all right, then I can do that. <laughs> so this week's topic, we brought you in because. Uh, Overwatch, right? It's a huge gaming phenomenon right now. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight was just this idea of asynchronous game design because it bleeds out of Overwatch and into MOBAs, you know? And so since most of the people who are playing PC games right now are very familiar with these games, I figured you'd be quite the person to bring on and actually talk about it. An avid player, high ranked for specific characters, and then also a game designer. Like, we couldn't lose. Yeah, yeah. So... More than happy to talk about it. I'll start with this. You know, when I came up and got my hand in shooters, I mean, it was everything was parallel, right? Like each character was just a different skin, but everyone had the same abilities, the same attributes, and, you know, the same access to weapons, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all we needed, like Goldeneye, right? Like, oh, your character might be a little taller or shorter, but otherwise you had a club, you had a golden gun, you had, you know, whatever gun you were using against your opponent, and they had those same things against you, right? Yeah. So it was pure skill-based, right? There was no, like, oh, you had this character that, you know, has this shield, and I didn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, at the time, would imagine like, yeah, this is what makes a game fair. But now with asynchronous game design, I still I see people with completely different attributes, with completely different rules and mechanics, and I can still say this game is fair. You know what I mean? Based on the fact that you know, I feel like if you have roles that the characters represent. You know, then that's how the fairness kind of comes into play. But I actually enjoy playing asynchronous games uh, more than I do enjoy playing just games that give everybody the same thing. So how about you? How do you feel? Well, I have always defined what makes combat fun Mm -hmm. in a very simple way. I think I feel that combat is at its best and sorry, I've written I've written a blog post about this, so I have it burned it in my brain. <laughs> uh, combat is at its best when you provide the player with options, mm-hmm. uh, many options, but then you constrain those options through three things: uh, their opponent, 
their environment and their goal. Okay. And, you know, like you were saying in a game, like old school shooters that were very similar skilled or similar loadouts, Mm -hmm. you know, you still had that choice. It was in what weapon you wanted to use versus the environment you were in versus your opponent was in, you know, Mm -hmm. um, or necessarily what your goal was. If it was capture the flag or control the point, you know, that goal combined with the environment it was in, it would still make interesting choices there, Mm -hmm. right? Do you take the shotgun because you know you're in tight hallways or do you take the sniper rifle because you got long hallways, long sight lines and what have you? Um, that, but your the constraint of your opponent doesn't necessarily come into play too much with that. But when you start to make things asynchronous between the players, then of course that becomes the third factor that is also very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, the example that I always remember in my head is, um, playing, uh, PVP in world of Warcraft. Okay. Um, which I played a shit ton of that. I loved Arathi Basin and Warsaw Gulch. And playing a game like that, I, I played a warlock who had like a bajillion abilities, mm-hmm. right? You had <laughs> spells and curses and just everything. You had so Jesus. many things and minions. You had like a bajillion things you could do. But who you were facing, like, would just throw some of those off the table immediately. You know, if you were facing a warrior, like don't use your don't use your casting time spells because he's just gonna run up to your face and chop you up. Yeah. Right? But I could just run away from him and do my insta cast spells. So those all day long, like what the fuck's he gonna do about it? Nothing. <laughs> right? Like I, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right. But change the change the environment context. If I'm at the top of the hill and he's at the bottom of the hill, mm-hmm. that, that immediately changes. Now shadow bolts back on the table. What's yeah. he gonna do about it? Nothing. You know, similarly, let's say I'm facing a mage, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, he has the ability to remove curses, so my insta-cast curse spells are off the table. So now we're into a, a casting time battle. I'm throwing shadow bolts. He's doing fireballs, whatever. But now change the environment. Put some sight blockers between the two of us, and I have way more insta-cast spells than he does, so now I can pop back in, in and out and start casting them at him. So those interplays of... Uh, context, my opponent, my environment, and my goal. Like if I was trying to hold a point mm-hmm. and it's two opponents, I might succubus one and fear the other. And I know I'm eventually going to lose this battle. Like it's two on one. Yeah. But I can at least hold the point for as long as I can at that point. So I'm switching up my, I'm trying different strategies here. I think that's what makes combat fun. And I think all of that relays back to asynchronous game design and, and features, right? Like if I'm playing Overwatch and mm-hmm. I'm facing a D.Va and I play fair almost exclusively, um, I'm fair all day long. I love fair. <laughs> yeah, my introduction to asynchronous um, design was when uh, Left 4 Dead came out. That was my first exposure, really. I know there's mm. plenty of games before that, but like for me as a first-person shooter, I was used to Counter-Strike, I was used to Call of Duty, and yeah, mm. you can kind of load up the game with different types of gunplay but like left for dead was completely different and i remember the discussion among the designers is i guess how does it affect the esports nowadays like with mm. competitive gaming with money on the line like how how can you define if it's fair well i mean there's two ways you can define fair right i i always believe in the the capcom philosophy which is if you break everything, then nothing is broken, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Marvel versus Capcom route. Every character is broken in their own special way. And if you do that with enough characters, then nothing's really broken because players are so much smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And they will find some weird use case for something. Yep. You, you can see the same thing in like Street Fighter. You know, it's like... Um, like the example I usually like to give is Dalsim. I only know him really, really well from Street Fighter 4. I don't know Street Fighter 5 as well, but with, with Sim in Street Fighter 4, you're back, you're back roundhouse. He does this big knee move, and the hitbox in that is just gigantic. It's like one of the best anti-airs in the game. And he has this back medium punch, which he just like sticks his hand up, and you're like, what the fuck is that for? Why would I ever use that over the knee? 
But if someone's going for a cross-up, that the hitbox in that is actually behind your head. And so you can actually clock somebody trying to go for a cross-up. So it's like this like tiny use case, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, like that kind of like asynchronous thing. Like, when would you ever use this? Or why would I have this skill? Or is it really fair or balanced for this, like, smoker to grab me with his tongue and stuff? But, mm-hmm. you know, you have these tiny UK use cases that other players have that most of the time is not useful, but in that one case is very useful. And I think that ends up making it feel fair. You know, it's the, it's the classic yeah. case of like uh, the difference between challenge and frustration, which is, you know, if you're pissed at the game, then you're frustrated. If you're pissed at yourself, then you're challenged. You're challenged. Agreed. Uh, what was your first experience when you, uh, play the asynchronous game design and how did you like it when you notice like, Hey, this is different. And I think I like that or you didn't, you know, what mm, I guess it would probably be Warcraft. What is that? Two. Okay. You know, with the, uh, yeah, the trolls were like, yeah, yeah cause I mean, the, the orc grunts are like 1.5 strength compared to one human grunt or something like that. Yeah. I think, wow, that's a good point. That takes it way back. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think Warcraft 2, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure humans and orcs were different in Warcraft 1. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, though, so I can't really state that as a use case. Mm-hmm. But I definitely remember Warcraft 2 because, you know, you had the uh, undead. And, you know, different. the two factions had different spells, yeah. different units. They were very different. Um, not as different as it got in StarCraft 1, you know, where you had the three races... And they were very different. You know, you had the Zerg and the Protoss and the Terran. And that was kind of the first time that I, I that I feel like I really felt different but fair. Yeah. Yeah, that, now that you mentioned that, I, I would have to agree, man, because I, I didn't even think about Warcraft. I was yeah. thinking, like, I don't know, League of Legends or some shit, like, recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there an older game that had asynchronized gaming hmm. for multiplayer at least older computer game just any what's the oldest game that had dungeons and dragons is the oldest i can think of <laughs> yeah that, i mean that goes back pretty far but dungeons and dragons not really balanced for pvp so i don't know yeah. if anyone would really <laughs> stress that uh i can't think of it well i mean okay i can take it super back if you want Do it. Ho- hockey on the nes they had okay. the fat guy, the skinny guy, and the and the and the, and the medium guy. Oh man, <laughs> I'd have to. Oh, I'd have to go back and play that again. Yeah, I mean that's the classic example of like the three different tiers, mm-hmm. right? They had the the fat hockey player who the was goon. like slow in the goon; he could beat people up. The medium hockey player, and then there was the fast hockey player who was like super weak, but he moved really fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the concept of different but equal has existed for a while. For a while, I think it's just the current interpretation of that, mm-hmm. which is uh, team-based asynchronous. I think that's what's yeah. really the new thing, right? I think yeah. the concept of factions that are different but balanced to be fair. I mean. I can think of other examples probably if I really put my mind to it, but it, I mean, it goes, I mean, even think of like, like sports games, like dude, NBA jam, like, <laughs> like you can, you can think of other things where it's guys are different, but you know, they have different yeah. stats and it's considered to be fair. Yeah. You know, I guess you can really stretch the analogy if you want, but I think the, the most modern interpretation is the, the, uh, the many, many different types of things and they're combined into a team and then that team has to fight someone else. It's comprised of a many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, that I can see is like, I don't really know that you've seen that before Dota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that yeah. was that before Dota. I, I, I give Dota major credit for I would say the first popular attempt. And then I also want to give the other half of that credit to Team Fortress 2 because I think Team Fortress yes. 2 definitely yes. Yes. definitely introduced the world to OMFG. This is the shit. 
Yeah. No, that, that is very clearly the other example of – I actually don't know which came first. So one of those definitely gets the credit for uh, – <laughs> A, a, a team comprised of many different individuals and it is yeah. versus another team comprised of very different individuals Yeah, that it ultimately it feels very fair. So um, I guess I'll use team fortress as a great segue. So let's talk overwatch for a minute. I mean, like okay. does blizzard need to make another game ever? Because it seems like they've kind of got a, they've got Warcraft subscriber numbers or world of Warcraft subscriber numbers on their, their Titan conversion game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do they ever need to make another game? Oh, I guess was, there's really, no, no, I'm saying, I, I think it's actually a compelling point. You know, mm. I think back in the day, you know, you would say like, of course it's time to make the over, it's time to start work on the overwatch sequel, right? <laughs> like overwatch yeah. two, you start development. But is that, I mean, they've been working on league of legends for 10 years. So like, I think this year was the, 10 year anniversary, I guess, of when they were started. Mm. Like that's so Titan would have came out this year. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a, does a game really need a sequel anymore or do you just keep working on it and refining it? And does, I think the, the question is really, does Blizzard need to have more than three active in development games hearthstone mm. wow and overwatch so then what about diablo and uh diablo says four what do you call that other one i can't believe i'm i'm a blizzard fan yeah. let me just it's open starcraft right starcraft 2 let me just open my BattleNet client yeah seriously so you got, here's the storm overwatch starcraft 2 diablo hearthstone and wow no they they're good <laughs> blizzard really doesn't need to but their creativity within their team and it seems like they only come out with games when they have good ideas so yes it, it's like dude blizzard can afford to cancel a seven-year project and be like eh yeah <laughs> it's like that <laughs> that's but unheard the of yeah days. the compelling question is is like i i do see since we're in the digital age of downloading patches mm -hmm. games are slowly kind of adopting what mobile games are nowadays where you know rovio can just do angry bird licenses and yeah. just right off of that mm -hmm. i think the triple a titles are starting to do that as well where they don't really release sequels but patches instead and i think that's probably a better way to go about it as I long as available. no I, I i i agree i think there's a a point where you're like, okay, I think we've done everything that we can do with a product. Um, I would have honestly felt like, wow, had reached that point. Yeah. <laughs> but they keep figuring out ways to extend twist it. to tw to twist the formula or extend it or whatever. Um, and props to them for that. But I think at some point you kind of like, yeah, I think we've done everything we can with this or. Mm -hmm. More, I think it's technical limitations. Like you reach the limits of what the engine can do mm -hmm. and technology's moved past it so much that you're like, we should just, you know, start over. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are the kind of things that you're going to run up against or, you know, things like shifts in uh, technology like uh, VR, uh, mobile, things like that. You know, it's like, okay, we've we've got this thing, it's over here, it's in this space and it's doing well, but can we contextualize it over here in this other space? And is there something there that we can also continue? Um, I really, I just say, I think those are the only thing, the only reasons to ever switch it up. Mm -hmm. and, and even in that case, I think the modern thing is, you know, why would you start from scratch when you don't have to? Yeah. You know, it's like, like take Minecraft, like, why would you ever do a Minecraft two? You know, like, <laughs> like where? Even then, but, you don't need to. Two billion billions. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's like where do you go from there? Because kind of the appeal is its lack of yeah. aesthetics. So yeah. that was the no joke for Left 4 Dead when it came because Left 4 Dead two came out right. a year later. And mm -hmm. everyone's like, why would you do this? And it was pretty much like 
Gabe going up to the whiteboard and drawing dollar signs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was like they could have just released new maps and it would have been fine. And I, I mean, they're doing well, but it is really starting your user base over again. Like all that community that you build up, you're telling them buy the game again. And what's the chance Mm -hmm. of getting a hundred percent of them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's the exact use case of like, the downs, like what it feels like for the community for you to try and treat it like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 10 years before that game came out, if you had done a Left 4 Dead, like to have a Left 4 Dead 2 a year, like within a year and a half or a year, it would have been like, yeah, fuck yeah, more Left 4 Dead. That's dope. Mm-hmm. But now it was like, I, I distinctly remember what the internet was like when that came out. I was like, who the fuck do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Just put this game out, like keep going. You know, and that's, you know, that's all down to when you set expectations for your users, you cannot ever go back on that yeah. or they will eat you alive. <laughs> and the only reason why they survived is because they're Valve and they have bajillions of dollars. I think if any other developer had tried to pull that off, they would have gotten skewered. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. You know, it was literally just Valve goodwill that made them survive that. Um because that was the use case of like, dude, you've literally just put this game out. Like, why would you stop? This is a, a game that's tailor made for content. And like, because yeah. they were the developer of Team Fortress 2, and everyone was kind of like, yeah, it's going to go that route. Yeah. You know, and it didn't. Clearly, that was, we needed to take it back from Turtle Rock or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think it's probably some business. Well, it's definitely business. It was, inspired. yeah, some business reasons. So now that asynchronized gaming is everywhere, <laughs> like, do you ever see it going back to the good old Counter-Strike days? Like, do you feel like the audience would accept that anymore? I think it's, I think the audience will accept whatever they find is fun. And the audience will always, I mean, there's a certain contingent that is about whatever everyone else is about. Yeah. So I think it's almost impossible to bank on that. <laughs> I think the best you can do is try and make something that you think is fun and maybe guess at what the you know the zeitgeist is going to be, you know. I think Overwatch in particular, you know, cuz at the exact same time Overwatch was coming out, you know, there was Battleborn and uh, gigantic, mm-hmm. uh, and what was that other one that came out? Doesn't uh, matter. Like <laughs> Overwatch came out. <laughs> you know. Oh, oh yeah. A uh, 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 loadout. Yeah, mm-hmm. very similar games. Even right. even Paragon is coming Paragon. out right now, right? Yep. So there's a bunch of them all coming out at the same time, yeah, and it just so happened that you know Overwatch, which I think is a not only a compelling use case of uh, capturing a zeitgeist in the moment, Mm -hmm. but also it's not like they were the first game to try something like this or to combine mechanics in these particular ways, but ones that had done it before, they they were missing the most elusive ingredient, which is appeal. Mm -hmm. I think they just weren't appealing games. And this just, a Blizzard is very good at not just being fun, but also being appealing in their designs. You know, their characters are just nice to look at. They're interesting designs. You know, the maps are interesting places. The story is interesting. Yeah. You know, all the bits and bobs that make something appealing. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, Brendan, um, there is a game that is, uh, I guess, not an asynchronous. Uh, so it's it's uh, synchronous. It's uniform. Uh, Rocket League is yeah. doing very well. Right. Yeah. Very well. Everyone has aesthetic differences, but more or less the same abilities, the same options. You have the same cars with the same stats. Yep. And they're killing it because it's, I mean, when have you ever played racing game soccer, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I think there's a very compelling case to be made that, like I said, uh, I think it all comes back to the, the three aspects of what makes fighting other people fun. You know, it's changing up environment, your goals and your opponent, and giving players lots 
you know, various things to do. It's always going to come back to that in my, in my opinion, you know, it's just right now we're in a phase where switching it up based on who your opponent is, is kind Mm -hmm. of the, that's the cat's meow. That's what everyone's really into. But if you, at any moment that wind could switch and it could be all about environment, in which case games like Counter-Strike and Call of Duty, that would become the thing again, because Mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of the, the main thrust of games like that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, everyone's kind of got the same stuff and really it's about my positioning versus your positioning and understanding map awareness and just becomes all about that. That's still a compelling design. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just very different. Um, puts more emphasis. In, it just puts the emphasis somewhere else. I think people were just ready for something new. Yeah. So so, that, go, go ahead, Brandon. Well, the first time I actually saw Overwatch, and uh, my first impression was, holy crap, this is so complicated. It looks <laughs> like a mess when I first saw it. It's like they're throwing a billion characters. How are they going to make this balance? How are they going to make this work? So I think that's like generally the first impression for most people when they see like a game that is asynchronous. and Yeah. Like, what were you guys' first impression without the, you know, having the friend inside Blizzard saying this is a clusterfuck? Because isn't isn't Overwatch kind of, like, taken from Titan? Like, they just... I don't know the exact story, but, like, the characters or something were from that game, and they just threw it together? I mean, uh, I knew some stuff from the inside. Um, I, won't, I don't really want to talk about it too much, because yeah. I might know it's... They're comfortable, but... There was not, it was not a good thing going on there. I mean, they lost like their entire animation department to Riot. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Like, Is it, it for was the Titan team? Yeah. They lost almost the entire animation team from Titan to, they all left to go to Riot. So it was, I mean, it was like not a good thing going on. People were unhappy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just one of those things where, it's a classic mistake that designers get in, get into, which is, uh, I just call it ugly baby syndrome, right? Mm. Like no one wants to be told that their baby is ugly. Mm. Which like, is true. Yeah. No one wants to be told that their baby's ugly. And the longer you hold on to something, the more it becomes your baby mm. and the less you like to be told that it's ugly. And I think Titan had just reached that point where it was just too many people's babies. And finally, the, you know, the back broke on it and they finally was like, all right, let's maybe think about doing something else. But the fact that it wasn't working is not a reflection on the talent of anyone involved. Like they had amazing art and they had all this stuff. And it was just a matter of like, hey, let's try this other thing with it. You know, and suddenly it was immediately fun. They remembered what made Blizzard successful, which was not to be the studio that makes MMOs, mm-hmm. what made Blizzard successful was to be the studio that took something that someone else did and made it appealing. Yeah. And so they took shooters and League of Legends and those kind of games and they made it appealing or loadout, I guess, and things like th- of that type. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, how do we make this more appealing? And while it is complicated, I do think they've simplified it more than some other games of you know, this particular type um, to cut the classic kind of blizzard thing, like where shift is always about movement and Q is always your ultimate and E is always utility. And, you know, like they have different abilities, but once you kind of get into the mode, like even if you've never played a character before, you pretty much know that if you press the shift button, your character is going to move mm-hmm. in some way. You don't know necessarily how they're going to move, but you're kind of on board with thinking in those terms you know, which that's just good design, but that's what they're really good at. They're really good at that kind of stuff. I see. Yeah, man. So let me ask you this on behalf of overwatch fans out there, or excuse (laughs) me about people like myself, not the fans. I like looking at overwatch. It's very pretty. It's like Pixar, the game. Um, 
the problem is like, yeah, Brandon said it nail on the head is when you see it for the first time, it looks very intimidating, right? Like as a brand new player, if you don't know all the heroes and their strengths, weaknesses and how to use them, you can jump in and think you're going to like have some fun and actually contribute to your team losing very fast. Yep. So what like how do you how do you design your game knowing full well that it's going to be so have so much depth and variety in the experience how do you also make it user friendly would you say well i mean similar i know you did say a couple of things right there with like the inherent controls but like no i think i think they're actually not doing a good job of this okay um so I think it's a fair complaint to put against them. Uh, this is one thing that games like Call of Duty, I think, have solved very well. You know, Call of Duty has, what, how many guns now? Like, a bajillion? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And for someone who jumps into that game, if I had no reference map to how they function, like, that was very intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I'm not just going to pick up the, you know, some gun and just be super effective with it because I don't know the nuances of it. But what they do is that's kind of what the progression system for those games is really good about, which is that it starts you like the gun that they start you with is actually a very good gun. It's not like a bad gun in any way. It's one of the better ones. And so they just start you off on a good average footing and then let yourself work up to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think Overwatch could do a better job of like easing new players into certain heroes that I think are, Good starting here. Yeah. yeah, like um, they very clearly, you know, probably started with Soldier because mm-hmm. he's the most simple of all the heroes, right? His shift button is literally a run. His uh, his utility is to heal and to drop a heal item for himself, an AOE heal item. Uh, his his left click is just it's just an assault rifle, and his right click is to shoot rockets out of his rifle. It's like oh, and his ultimate is like. It just automatically targets people, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's, he, he basically becomes an aim bot. Gotcha. He's, he's the most basic, you pretty much can't fuck this guy up while you're playing character. And it's like, okay, oh, you, take, you took some hits. You took some hits while you weren't paying attention. Go behind, go behind a wall, press E, you heal yourself, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and your friends can also show up and get healed too, so they're thankful that you screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like there's no almost nothing. You, oh, you're like you're bad at aiming. Just wait a little bit. Press Q, and just hold down the left mouse button. Your character will auto target people for you. Mm. He's he's a fantastic hero for kind of getting the feel for things. Now, I think they've also done a good job of having heroes that, um, like me, I have shit aim. Like, mm-hmm. That's why I play Farah. <laughs> uh, I do not do well with hit scan. I can't handle it. I don't think that way. I just play too much Quake, I guess. I know how to shoot rockets at people. I know how to get Splash everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm really good at just understanding how fast someone's moving, and I can guess where the character's going to be. Sometimes I miss, but when I hit, it hurts. (laughs) I like playing that way. Um, You know, they have characters that kind of fit whatever your playstyle niche is. Mm Mm-hmm. And once you become familiar, like, it kind of takes you, like, a couple of seconds. You're like, oh, this person shoots rockets. Okay. And then it's a matter of figuring out what their other four buttons do. But they, I do feel like they have most of the niches covered. I do agree, though, that I think if it's the first time watching it, like, for example, like, I've, you know, I play it at work, you know, and I've had people come up and watch me play. And they're like, how do you even have any idea when someone's shooting you? <laughs> right? Um but for me, someone who's playing for many hours, uh, I don't, I don't even know, how, I don't even know what to tell you. Like I just know when I'm being shot, and I know yeah. exactly where I'm being shot from. Not only that, but every they've done a lot of subtle stuff. Like uh, every character's footsteps sound completely different, mm. and I can tell who a hero is just from their footsteps. Mm. Not only that, and I, I went to GDC and they did a talk about this. They actually dial up or down the audio based on who your hero is versus your opponent's hero. So, for example, if I'm playing Farah and there is my counter near me, their footsteps are like twice as loud. Mm. They, they actually dial up the audio to, to help me versus my opponents or versus my teammates. Like I would hear their footsteps louder than my teammates standing right next to me. That's, that's a subtle like gift 
because a lot yeah. of people may not be able to inherently say, oh, this is, or excuse me, explicitly say, oh, I'm really glad they double the audio on that footstep right there. Yeah. But all the players can feel it and they, yes. yeah, that's good. I would say that they've done a lot of work in the feel department, which is what Blizzard's really good at, of making the process, like the, the actual gameplay very intuitive, even though it might not seem like that when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like I said, I honestly can't even tell you how I know where I'm being shot from sometimes. I'm just automatically spinning and firing my rockets. Like, it's just... Yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> you know, you can't, uh, you can't score splash damage in the air, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will keep trying to shoot other Pharahs in the air all day long, even though I miss most of the time. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. It's cool. I'm just teasing. But I would say probably their biggest weakness, like I said, is that the different heroes do function very differently and they don't really explain it too well to the first time player. And, you know, I think they can look towards games like, um, I mean, they have the same problem in Heroes of the Storm, right? But they've kind of solved it there, which is, you know, through the process of acquiring heroes. Yeah. Right? So heroes that they know are easier to use cost less to get. Mm -hmm. And due to the free rotation system, if you're a new player, the only options you have available to you really are heroes that they know work well together and they know are always going to be a benefit to the team very rarely they shift that up but for the most part they keep a couple heroes in there that they know are like you know like morden bread and butter yeah some bread and butter heroes that they know are going to work well and not too difficult they, they do that on purpose right for this exact reason you know it's not like uh, a, a difficult impossible hero is going to be cheap the, it's kind of on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Overwatch has that problem in the sense that everyone's free and available right from day one, mm-hmm. which for the person playing it is amazing. You know, it's like if you play it for a while, like, of course, I would be super pissed if I had to spend extra money to just switch it up and play Genji one day, even though I don't really want to, but just because <laughs> I can. It's not my play style. But... Um, it makes it very difficult to know who you're supposed to be. They've done some stuff in the hero selection screen, like when a match is about to start, they have some tips on the side, and it'll say, like, you are low on hero damage, or you're missing a builder, right? Mm. How the fuck are you supposed to know what a builder is? Mm-hmm. Uh, good like, point. Who, who's the builder? What does that even mean? Yeah. They've, they have categorized them as, like, offense, defense, tank, and heals, support, sorry. Um, so if you see a tip that says like low on damage, you're like, oh, I guess I should probably pick this offense category. Yeah. You know, then someone starts screaming at you and they're like, where the fuck are you playing that on this map? And you're like, <laughs> I don't, because the tip said so. Like, <laughs> you know, like what are you supposed to say to that? Yeah. It's it's got it. They've they have a problem to solve there. I honestly don't know how they're going to solve it, but they have a problem to solve there, and it's only going to get worse. Do you think they're experiencing like similar to the Titanfall one problem where it was just, Hey, just straight up multiplayer, just dive right in. Do you think it would help overwatch to introduce their game or heroes to the players? If there was a little more of a like handheld single player experience for some of these heroes, maybe, um, I kind of feel like what they've tried to do is solve it through the cinematics almost, Mm -hmm. you know, is they're like, how do we get people to be familiar with the mechanics of these heroes? What if we did, you know, it's like we had these cinematics and, you know, in those cinematics, all those heroes in those cool cinematics they've done, they use the exact abilities they have in the game. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Alive trailer, mm-hmm. it's Trace, Tracer versus Widowmaker. And the two of them are, they're using their shit. Yeah. Like, that's the moves that they have in the game. So if you were to go and play Overwatch right now, You'd be like, yeah, I want to go play that blue chick that like snipes and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what she does. Similarly, you know, if you were to watch the the one with uh, Genji and Hanzo, yeah, the, like, the dragons that they, yeah, use. You, you know, like these two guys, like one guy's got this cool mech suit and he uses a sword, and the other guy clearly uses a bow. Like he kind of, you know, exactly what they do for the most part. I mean, you might not be 100% sure of what they do, but you're kind of on board. So I feel like 
they realized this was an issue and, you know, they tried to solve it with the cinematics, you know, maybe that's, I mean, that's, I think that's like halfway there. I do think they could maybe do a little bit better of like, cause that's kind of a hardcore user thing, right? Like yeah. if I was going to send that to, you know, like if you're looking at like the numbers of people that play a lot of these other games, you know, like those people aren't going to go watch the cinematics. They're just going to boot the game up <laughs> and get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. I, and what's interesting is if those cinematics are doing exactly what you say, and like, I get it now. Like I didn't think about that before. Cause I've played maybe all of 11 minutes worth of overwatch. <laughs> um, but those cinematics hook a lot of people who don't play and they're like intrigued. You know, yeah. I've watched all the cinematics that I've seen come across my Facebook feed and I've loved every single one. Yep. I think they're amazing. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, Mr. Mike, if you could change any one thing about overwatch tomorrow, like you could design it, make it so, and it would be implemented. Hmm. What would you do? If I could change anything. Uh, man, I would hide my Evo. <laughs> like in a hot second, I would hide that. Nothing has destroyed that game more for me mm -hmm. than seeing my match, my MMR. Mm -hmm. I really hate that they exposed that. I know people wanted to see it, but it's one of those things where I don't, it's a classic problem of, I don't think people really know what they want. Okay. Like, what is that thing? I'm not familiar. Your matchmaker rating? Yeah. It's it's like so, chess. Yeah, it's basically like Blizzard's goal is to make sure that you win 50% of your games. Mm -hmm. That's their goal. They and they use a number underneath used to be underneath the hood that would show you, you know, like uh, that they would use to try and match you against other players of a similar skill level, right? Their goal is you have some matches against people higher than you, some matches against people lower than you, you know, and the goal is your MMR will go up or down, but the goal is to try and keep you at a 50% win rate. That is not a reflection of your ability. It is an algorithm that is trying to keep you at a 50% win rate. Mm -hmm. But when all I have to judge myself is this fucking number <laughs> and I see it go down because I got into a random match with some guy that literally as soon as the match started was like fuck you guys and just started tanking the match mm. you know and like now my now this magical number that reflects who I am goes down because of that mm -hmm. through no fault of my own that is so demoralizing yeah. I honestly wish I just couldn't see what it said at all lie to me yeah, like I actually, I mean, nowadays, I like we have us in these buckets of like, you know, silver, gold, platinum, whatever. But they don't. They they put them in, but they still don't mean anything. Mm. It, all it is is just a a a little avatar next to your um, picture that says that this is how high you got at one point not mm. what you were at right now. So he's still like, I just, I can't stop seeing the fucking number. It's like, every time I go log in, I, I open up my character profile and I was like, Oh God, there it is again. I used to be this and now I'm that. And that's all you can think. It's not, you're not thinking of like, yeah, I made it this high. I just need to get higher. Yeah. You're thinking about the fact that you just lost four games in a row because some trolls. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps you up at night. Yeah. It makes me so angry. <laughs> ruins the game for me yeah. uh, honestly it's just to me ignorance is bliss as far as that's concerned yeah well Mr. Mike I would like you to do me one quick favor okay take a look at your clock you see that oh, it's shit. been an hour it's been you have hour. been podcasting with us for an entire hour my friend and as a courtesy gift to all of our guests and a big thank you from us at Game Dev Unchained, Brandon and I go completely silent. We walk away and get sandwiches and drinks while we let you talk to, serenade, promote, shout out, anything your heart's delight in that meantime. So without further ado, the audience is yours. Um, I don't really have too much to promote, honestly. Uh, I would say I really hope people check out our game when they get a chance when it comes out. 
That would be Blood Tales by Section Studios. Um, yeah, other than that, um, I don't know. Check out some good charities like Able Gamers, things like that. Please support those. That's all I really want to say. All right. I've got a, uh, a special one to add to it because of the news that we just found out today and the fact that we are talking about lots of Blizzard product. Uh, Captain... Oh, Captain, my Captain, Chris Medson has uh, That's true. retired today. So actually yesterday, because this podcast will be out in the morning after. So personally, uh, from a big fan who started playing Warcraft 2 with his father way back in the day, and that's what made me even want to go into making game development was those memories. Uh, thanks for being a part of that, and thank you for your service, good sir. Uh, enjoy retirement and being a family man. And thank you, Mike, for being officially our last guest of the year. Oh, 51. Yeah, oh, that's shit. actually, yeah, you're right. The We we don't have a guest for 52 because we're doing something special. So you'll just have to tune in next week to see what that is. But, Mike, thanks for being here. Brandon, thanks for staying up. And since I'm talking and no one else is, I'm Larry Charles. Good night. This is Brandon Fam. See you guys next week. And, Mike. Yes. Say bye to us. Goodbye, Larry, and goodbye, <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> All right, good night, guys. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.